Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. So if I listen to mainstream news, I am informed that there's going to be some big testimony in the January 6th committee. But if I'm mainstream news, my problem is I think that people are interested in the January 6th committee. I find it more problematic that Louisiana Supreme Court has said, we know there's a trigger law in the state of Louisiana. Roe v. Wade is overturned. The trigger law is supposed to go into effect, which would put an end basically to abortion in Louisiana. But we, the Supreme Court, say, nah. Now, maybe you don't see it the way I see it. Maybe I can change your mind. Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. Guys, always a pleasure. 833-GOT-TONY, 833-468-8669. In this story about Louisiana, this judge uh, had temporarily blocked uh, the trigger law that would ban just about every abortion in the state. Now, this is not about whether or not you agree or disagree with the law in Louisiana. That's, That's not the conversation here. There is a law. Roe v. Wade is overturned. You no longer have a um, poorly decided uh, situation that federally protects abortion. It gets returned as it should be properly to the states to adjudicate. People will get a chance to vote and make the decisions for where they live. So this is not an argument on your take on abortion. This is an argument about the law. Roe is overturned. Louisiana law now goes into effect. You have a judge that says no. The argument being that the law itself is overly vague. The state Supreme Court said, you know what? This, we're, we're, we're going to hold off on this law. Make your case in court. Now, maybe you can argue that this is some standard operating procedure. Nobody's had to deal with this law before. You now have it going into effect, and someone says, wait a second, have we really taken a look at this thing? This thing is a problem. That this law in and of itself is is overreaching. I guess you could argue that. But the, the thought on the law itself comes from those people who do not want to accept what it is that the Supreme Court has done. Accepting what is happening, accepting reality is extremely important and is not happening uh, in, for example, Washington, D.C. regarding January 6th. Pat Cipollone was um, President Trump's White House counsel, and he's going to testify before this House committee investigating January 6th. The argument that was made to us was that Donald Trump incited an insurrection. And my answer was, no, he didn't. But if you want to tell me that Donald Trump handled things on January 6th poorly, I'll believe you in a whole bunch of places. Said so right here on the show. Man, uh, you you want to talk about the, the most amount of emails I get 
Lord forbid I am not 24-7 Trump. People go out of their heads. Tony, why won't you just admit that the election was stolen? You haven't heard me talk about the problems with the election? The problems with Pennsylvania? I never would have certified the Pennsylvania vote. The judicial usurping the legislative? Legislative decides how elections work. The judicial can't go about making new rules the way they did. I oppose judicial overreach. That's why I oppose Roe v. Wade. And I don't believe there should have been any certification of the vote. But if you you want to tell me about problems in Fulton County, pulling votes from out from under tables, yes, problem. But if you want me to believe and scream and yell about uh, Trump won the election, Trump won the election, it's not going to get me anywhere. I need to get places. I'm not so sure Trump is the way to get to the place in terms of the man. I like the lessons learned and I like the fight. Let's apply the fight to other candidates moving forward. Well, Tony, if if you're willing to give up, how are you supposed to fight? What do you mean, how am I supposed to fight? Look how many engagements of, of, of legal challenges and changes have been made in states. Some pretty good results. Some pretty good results indeed. When I have the political left screaming and yelling that every single law is racism and is going to make it harder to vote, and then you see Georgia where they did the most screaming, and you saw more people voted in the last election... Their, their primaries than ever before. Clearly, it didn't make things harder to vote. They know that they have been lying to the American people, and we were at least able to prove it to some. You'll never be able to prove it to progressives because, well, they, they aren't interested in that. They're interested in, in, in the screaming of, look what you're doing here. Not the result of what was done, which didn't stop people from voting. I'm moving on with my day. I think that's what the rational course is. I think, honestly, that is the conservative course. I'm not, a, I'm not a populist. I'm a conservative. I don't shy away from this. I don't lie about this. You want to ask if, if there are parts of the election that were screwed up? You better believe it. You want to argue that without question, the entirety of the country wanted Trump? That's just not true. I think a great number of those people were wrong, and I think they realize how wrong they were. And it's the same exact conversation of why I don't scream and yell at these people. They voted for Biden because they just didn't want any more mean tweets. They didn't vote for Biden. They voted against Trump. But they didn't vote for this insanity that we're seeing across the country. Now, unfortunately, we suffer as well. And that pretty much sucks. But it's where we are. And I, I deal with reality. And I also deal with the reality that Trump made many mistakes on January 6th and has made many mistakes since then. Not all of them. Not everything he's done has been a mistake. That'd be crazy. And whatever Trump's mistakes were January 6th going forward, well, I, it, you could argue that it could pale in comparison to the mistake of this committee, which wanted to tell us that Trump incited an insurrection, and now all it wants to do is just embarrass the guy it's so obvious they are so afraid of trump running for re-election they're so afraid of his power 
of how he has connected with Americans, which he has, undeniable. Biden hasn't, Harris hasn't, Pete Buttigieg hasn't, the entirety of the January 6th committee, they sure as hell haven't. But Trump has. Trump has. And they're so freaked out about that that they will do anything. And so now they're going to bring up uh, Cipollone. Cipollone resisted uh, thoughts, ideas, desires from Trump to overturn the 2020 election. Good. If the idea wasn't constitutional, good. You should oppose it. Now, if anybody says to me, yeah, but, well, then our conversation's over. People who still support Roe, Roe v. Wade, and think it should be the law of the land are unserious people. There is no constitutional right to abortion, and there is no constitutional right to privacy uh, if you want to engage a conversation on the 14th Amendment. When I take a look at Breyer, Kagan, and Sotomayor, I am forced, forced to question how they look at the Constitution. And it is obvious, especially when you consider Kagan's dissent on West Virginia versus EPA, where she starts discussing the idea that Congress doesn't know how to do this and Congress doesn't know how to do that and how they're taking the authority away from the proper agency that has the expertise. The agency gets its marching orders from Congress. The argument is not whether or not Congress is competent. I guarantee you that the vast majority of the time, Congress is a bunch of schmucks. But we have a system. And the agency class must get its marching orders from the duly elected representatives of we the people. They cannot engage acting on their own. And Lena Kagan, Justice Kagan, is like, nope, 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 nope. Let the agencies do, after all, they know best. That is who I'm supposed to rely on to interpret the Constitution? Holy hell, where's my bourbon, bitches? Somebody pour me all the drinks. That's insane. That's a certifiable thought. You wanted Mike Pence to do the thing he couldn't do? Stop it. I have dismissed all the people who call Mike Pence a traitor. You don't have to like the dude. That's totally fine. Mike Pence is a traitor. Kiss off. It's so ignorantly... I I, I was going to use a word. And then I said, I'm on radio. Breathe, Tony. It's going to be okay. But I get it. There's a lot of emotion in here. Because what we're really arguing about is... Look at how double standards get played. Riots all over the country, and Congress didn't care. We should say progressives didn't care. But somehow they get involved, and it's the end of times on this, guys. We have absolute agreement amongst all of us, regardless of how we're coming to the conversation. And I would argue there is more that unites us in the conversation than divides us in the conversation. I'll give you another part that unites us. It is clear and obvious to the rational mind that the January 6th committee exists solely and exclusively, explicitly, to demean Donald Trump. That is not the action of a republic. 
And when Liz Cheney stands there or sits there and tries to act moral and pious, understand how petty she is. Same thing with Kinzinger. Dear Lord, Jamie Raskin, the, the, the Democrat... The Democrat who opposed and tried to uh, um, question the election of Donald Trump in 2016, they bring uh, Cassidy Hutchinson, who who used to work in, in the Trump White House, to engage nothing but hearsay testimony about Trump trying to grab a steering wheel, and the Secret Service says it doesn't, it didn't happen. Call us to the stand. Call us to the stand. We will tell you it didn't happen. And Jamie Raskin says, we're not going to call the Secret Service to the stand, but her testimony is 100% credible, and I don't know how anybody could question it. We all agree on many more things that we disagree on. We agree on much more than we disagree on. I'll say it again. This January 6th committee is trash and should be treated as such it should be treated as a failure it should be treated as garbage it deserves nothing else if we believe that the republic should not be going after citizens on an idea of tearing down uh, reputation If you want to argue he broke the law, charge the man with a crime. But you're engaging in the terminology and the verbiage and the theories of Beria. Show me the man and I'll show you the crime. You're looking for the thing ipso facto. If you want to charge him, tell the DOJ to charge him. But you don't have it. And you never had it. You went for incitement to insurrection and the impeachment, and that was the wrong move, and you knew it. But you couldn't stop yourself. You know what you could have done? Dereliction of duty. You would have had an argument. As a matter of fact, if you had moved to censure Donald Trump, you would have gotten 42 Republican votes. I've actually upped it over the, over the years. You would, have, you would have. You would have gotten the censure. You would have done it. And you could have left this all be, but you went for impeachment because you don't know how to control an emotion. And you believe your emotions are more important than the laws. That brings us back to Louisiana. Emotions being more important than laws. And we're seeing this from a, from a, from a district judge and from the Louisiana Supreme Court. They have a trigger law in place. You not allowing the trigger law to, to, to go into effect doesn't seem to be a conversation of, hmm, Is that law uh, really on the up and up? Rather, it seems like an emotional response to see if you can get Louisiana to back off. You want to change the laws? That's what elections are for. The Supreme Court tells us this time and time and time again. You don't like Obamacare? That's what elections are for. It's exactly what they told us. Nearly verbatim. But this is about your emotion. This is about being emotional people and thinking that somehow your emotion should change how we live. I reject the premise. I reject it on the conversation of abortion. I reject it from January 6th. Nation of laws and a republic. Y'all better vote.
in November and every November coming forward. I'm Tony Katz. James Kahn, dead at the age of 82. Sonny Corleone, Brian Song. Dear Lord, what a story. What a story. Oh, just a, just a, I'm trying to go through like, like everything he was a part of going back to the 60s. So uh, Route 66, uh, that, I think that's, you know, something that people would remember. Um, And like he did every small little part building his career. And then he went from Brian's song in 71 to the Godfather in 72. Dear Lord. And then, of course, he had the brief part in Godfather Part 2. But if you never saw Godfather, uh, he, he was already dead. I mean, crazy. And just, just a, I mean, more a more character actor, I guess I would call him. I don't know. I mean, he was the lead in Misery. Oh, God, I forgot about Misery. What year was Misery? Like 91, maybe? 90. Oh. Paul Sheldon. In 1990, I forgot about that. He was great in Misery. Yeah, that's a good movie. Oh, dang. Um, he was an elf, too. Yes, he was an elf. But now, again, character actor. Character actor was, was elf. I forget what year elf was. Um, elf, 2003. He was Walter in, 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 in Elf. Just so good. And then uh, producer Ari and I were talking. I don't know if anybody ever watched this in the early 2000s, Las Vegas. Yeah. Uh, which was him and uh, Josh Duhamel and, and Nikki Cox. It, it was a little campy, but it was a lot of fun. Very. Un- it holds up today. Like, if you turned it on Netflix, it holds up. Does it? It does. I randomly saw it on, like, TNT the other day, and I was like, this is still good. Hmm. I will. Uh, I will go back and take a look. I mean, he was still... He was still working. He has two movies. He had two movies announced. There's a movie of his in post-production. 82. Oh. Oh. Let's stop taking the good ones, could we please? We've got some movie news. How about a trilogy? This is Tony Katz today. Idea of Clerks 3. How did I know? I, honestly, I just knew you were going to do this. Clerks 3. Now, Clerks 2 didn't have to be made as a movie at all. It wasn't necessary. Kevin Smith took the, the money. I'm not going to get mad at the dude. Tony Katz. Tony Katz today. Such a pleasure to be with you guys. But Clerks? Not even supposed to be here today. Clerks was stunning. Clerks, which was filmed up the road from me growing up in Middletown, New Jersey, in Leonardo. I could find the quick stop. Maybe not today, but I could find the quick stop in the day. Are you kidding? That there is going to be a Clerks 3. 
and they brought back uh, the, the the cast. It's Kevin Smith. It's Brian O'Halloran. It's 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 Jeff Anderson. They put Rosario Dawson in this one. Uh, I, I I will watch it, producer Ari, and so will you. No. Yes, no. you will. And I I can't even believe you're talking about a movie that no one wanted to get made about a sequel that no one really likes. Not only are you going to watch it, you're going to shut your face about it, and you're going to watch it. It's such like a a a you know a back alley movie. Like you go to the blockbuster, and it wasn't even on the shelves. It was like you had to go in the back to find it. Yeah, it, it happens that way. I, I'm pretty sure that's what happened with Donnie Darko too. And if someone made a sequel to Donnie Darko, I think that was also a poor idea. Yeah, because that one doesn't. Well, I'm not saying it's a great idea. I'm saying I'm going to watch it. Uh, I don't There's know. There's a big why. difference. Yeah, I don't do it to yourself. Oh, happening or or your money back. Totally happening. Clerks 3. Ah, things I was not expecting. And there it is. Yes. Yes, I will be watching. It's not the only thing going on. You want to talk about the full-on money grab right here? Netflix has now given the green light to a Stranger Things spinoff series. You have any idea how big Stranger Things is? The only thing in terms of viewing hours that has been bigger than Stranger Things in this last season is Squid Game. And Squid Game was just a... I mean, talk about a cultural movement right there, but Stranger Things has been now for four seasons... Knocking it out of the park. And I have watched every episode of this past season. Um, okay. I'm glad. Uh, I'm, I'm, I will tell you that without any spoilers, I'm glad everyone's back together because I didn't like the separate storylines. It was too much. It was too long. But I'm ready for what's next. I am ready for what's next, and 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 I don't. Again, I don't want to do any spoilers to Squid Game, but I did go over some of it with producer Ari yesterday, and uh, it's good to know that I am I am uh, I am correct in in my thoughts about the character Will, and some of the things that may be coming. So I I, I know I'm correct. I'll get into it another day. It is so big. I mean, just in in this last season, uh, there's a song from Kate Bush called Running Up That Hill. I'll see if you can find it, producer Ari. Uh, it came out 37 years ago. That That's how old you are. Came out in the 80s. And it has it is part of the new season. And now it's number one again. Number one in the UK, top 10 in the US. I mean, that is some powerful stuff to be able to do that. Just throw something out there and 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 all of a sudden get a get a run up again. That's how popular this show is. Huge. Huge, huge stuff. But I promised a, a, a story about pawn shops. 
It's a story about where we are in America. It's a story about the economy. It's a story about what it is that is actually happening. I get that the administration lies all the time. I get that we hear things from the administration like this. So the release of oil from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve sounds esoteric to people, but you know, oil market analysts you've had on this show will say it was single-handedly responsible for keep, keeping oil prices going higher. What, what, what oil analysts are saying such a thing? I look every day, I haven't seen that. Now maybe someone's saying it. But you mean, thank goodness we've released a million dollars a, bar- a million barrels a day from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Five million barrels, by the way, have made their way into China. Or is it China and parts of Europe? And we've weakened the nation and we're better off only because we have $5 a gallon gas? That is one hell of a flex, kid. I mean, that's, that is a take. Bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see how it works out. They still want you to believe that somehow everything is 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 economic roses. And we get that we don't buy in. And you've got a lot more people than us who, who don't believe. This was a conversation that took place on Bloomberg. I keep hearing that word fair. And you and I have had this conversation before. It sometimes makes it sound like something nefarious is happening in certain places. The president over the weekend said this. My message to the companies running gas stations and setting prices at the pump is simple. This is a time of war and global peril. Bring down the price you are charging at the pump to reflect the cost you're paying for the product and do it now. Jeff Bezos came out and tweeted the following. I'm sure you read it. Inflation is far too important a problem for the White House to keep making statements like this. It's either straight-ahead misdirection or a deep misunderstanding of basic market dynamics. I'm not going to accuse you of the latter. I want to talk about the former. Where's that messaging coming from? The president has made clear that his number one goal is delivering for the American people. We are in a time of crisis. We are in a time of war where where the president and our allies, we are supporting the Ukrainian people. Congress is engaged in this effort, both sides of the aisle, to say this is an important priority. And one of the consequences is this high price of oil because of global trends. But you and, didn't answer his important and, question. Everyone, Heather, everyone in the nation wants to know the answer to the question Mr. Farrell just asked you, which is who is advising the president? on shockingly naive price theory over a gallon of gas. So the president is not shockingly naive. Sure he's not. That was Heather Boucher, who is a part of the White House Economic Council. I mean, that's as direct of a, who do you think you're talking to here? The president's full of crap. We know he is. Why do you keep selling us on this idea? But they want you to believe that everything is good. So take what they're telling you. Never mind, of course, we've got the people from Bloomberg News there uh, 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 on our side. But, but take what, what, what they are telling you and now apply it to the following story about pawn shops. News Nation reporting. Pawn shops have seen massive increases. People are selling everything they can to make ends meet. 
gaming systems sold jewelry sold. i know people who do jewelry buying they're having more and more people come in the national pawnbrokers association claims that 30 million americans are unbanked or underbanked 20 percent don't have a bank account at all now some of that is by decision that doesn't change that people are selling what they can to ensure they have the dollars to deal with that $5 a gallon gas. Which story is more reflective of the American experience? Pawn shops seeing an incredible increase in what's coming through the door. Watching things come in and people pawn, which is, you know, you, you buy it later at, at an interest rate, or just straight out selling. They tell the story uh, uh, of a woman who uh, was bringing in a TV. She would hope, uh, hope that would make some fast cash. I'm hoping to just cover the gas I need for my vehicle, maybe food or whatever I need till I get through my next payday. What's more real? What What is more telling the story? This or the White House telling you everything is fine and thank goodness Biden did what he did, otherwise gas prices would have been higher. You're so lucky. I mean, it it, it, it sells itself. It tells its own tale. We know what is real. And this is the thing that most drives the administration crazy. They are under the belief. They are under the belief that they can continue to sell us this line and we will accept it and that their media brethren will accept it and that they can convince us they can convince us that things are better because of them which is why you heard this the other day when he was in uh, biden was in ohio that's where he was yeah he was in ohio and Biden was trying to make this case to voters. You all remember what the economy was like when I was elected a country in a pandemic with no real plans how to get out of it. Millions of people out of their jobs. Families and cars, remember, backed up for literally miles waiting for a box of food to be put in their trunk. Just a box of food to be put in their trunk because they didn't have enough to eat. Previous administration lost more jobs than its watch than any administration since Herbert Hoover. That's a fact. All based on failed trickle-down economics that benefit the wealthiest Americans and hit the middle class and working people the hardest. But we came in with a fundamentally different economic vision, an economy that grows from the bottom up and the middle out. It's good for everyone because when the middle class does well, the poor of a ladder up and the wealthy still do very well. Everything was bad under Trump? You mean COVID and lockdowns? You mean lockdowns that you kept going for another two years? 
You mean lockdowns that your party celebrated. Celebrated. And now, now you come out with the audacity to say, hey, uh, you know all that money from the American Rescue Plan, that $1.9 trillion that's adding to uh, inflation like you wouldn't believe? Let's make sure we spend some of that on schools because, you know, kids fell behind because of, of what we had to do. You didn't have to do it. You could have opened schools much sooner. But you listened to the American Federation of Teachers. You listened to Randy Weingarten, who doesn't give a damn about students. Your politics, your ideology did so much of the damage. And now you want to tell us how you saved us. And then you take a look at gas prices being $5 a gallon, and they want to tell us how they're saving us. Yeah, the pawn shop tells the story. I'm Tony Katz.